Hello and welcome to this edition of Anam Radio. Next time you're going through a mental list of composers who died far too young, you know Mozart, Schubert, Purcell, Gershwin, you can add to the list French composer Lily Boulanger, who died in 1918 at the age of 24. And the more you get to know Lily's music, the more you'll realize how great a loss she was. All the more reason to enjoy what she did manage to leave us, which is of extraordinarily high quality. One musician who's done something to remind us of Lily Boulanger is Anam pianist Hannah Pike. Hello, Hannah. Hi, Phil. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. What can you tell us about the life of this remarkable woman, Lily Boulanger? Lily was born in 1893, and she died tragically young at only 24 years of age in 1918. When she was two years old, she contracted a really bad case of pneumonia, which affected her life significantly and her health. Then at 24, she obviously tragically passed away. We think that it actually might have been Crohn's disease. Well, that's what the scholars have been saying lately, but we're not entirely sure Originally, it was sort of put down as intestinal tuberculosis. So one of those things, I guess, is lost to history and we'll never really know. Um, but she she's extraordinary. She had lessons from Foray at quite an early age. She played so many instruments. She sung, played piano, played the cello, I think. So, so many different things. She was a really incredible musician. And she won the Prix de Rome. I think she was the first female to win the competition. She was just incredible and wrote a lot of choral stuff as well as some instrumental things. Yes, she won that in 1913. And now the Prix de Rome is a very famous French competition. Debussy won it when he was young and it entitles the winner to a year in Rome staying at the Villa Medici, all expenses paid. And the idea is that you just get to write lots of music. And yes, she was the first woman to win this award. And I think, Hannah, the three pieces that you performed at your recital were actually composed during her prize year at the Villa Medici. Yes, that's correct. So she also comes from an extraordinary family and we really should talk a little about them. Absolutely. So her mother was actually a princess and her father was her mother's tutor, actually. He was quite a bit older than her, I believe. I think her father was 77 when she was born. So quite an age gap there. He was also a composer, right? Yes, yes. I believe he won the Prix de Rome many years, obviously, before Lily did. And then there's the sister who became very famous. Of course, yes, Nadia. So Nadia... Boulanger is the one that everyone knows of. She was greatly affected by Lily's tragic early death and so switched tracks a bit and started much more teaching and going into the pedagogy line of things. She has composed and her stuff's really incredible too. Definitely check it out if you don't know her. But after Lily's death, Nadia went more into pedagogy and taught some really renowned, incredible people such as Bernstein or Copeland, heaps, heaps and heaps of them. They all owe Nadia a great debt. I think she actually even taught Philip Glass. Yes. Thank you for confirming that. He would have been one of her last pupils when she was winding down and also for a little while Astor Piazzolla. So her list of students is incredibly impressive. 
but we'll get back to Lily. When we listen to Lily's music, what musical world are we in? She's very impressionistic. So she learned a lot with Foray and I think, yeah, had a lot of influence from, from him and, and from all the great impressionists, you know, Debussy, Ravel. I, I love her music. I think the pieces that I played are very, very rich in their harmonies and they're ever-changing. So that was actually quite a struggle for me originally when I sat down to play them because it felt like every few bars we were in a new key and suddenly in these areas that, you know, maybe are not traditional harmonies that we would, you know, learn about at university. So that was quite a struggle, but it's so rich and so really in-depth and beautiful, but very impressionistic. And I think you can actually see that in the titles as well. Well, let's talk about the three pieces, and they do each have a title. The first piece, which I think translates to Of an Old Garden. Yeah, Of an Old Garden is the first piece. It's quite quick. It's really quite dense in its harmony as well. I think that's one of the challenges of this piece, is that there's the main melody line and and trying to play that really delicately and singing and beautifully, but not losing the quality of the other voices. She's also very, very detailed with actually what she wants from the performer. It's very obvious, I think, what she's trying to do with the phrasing and the structure of the piece. So that was really interesting to sit down and look through it. And and I think the challenge also is actually not to do too much. I think it's very obvious sort of what she wants to do, but it can be tricky sometimes to actually hold it back and not go too far with it. So you just need to follow her instructions, really. That's it. I mean, she's such a wonderful composer. She puts it in for you. You don't really need to do too much with it. You just need to do what she's asking. So that's the first piece. And the second piece is also a garden piece. Yes, it's entitled Of a Bright Garden. It's quite a similar piece to the first one. I think this one is a little bit different in that it's a bit more across the piano. We're sort of jumping around a little bit more. And there's sort of a few different themes that pop up and it sort of keeps moving through them. I think the tricky thing with this again is, you know, the control because there's lots of parts where, you know, you're you're playing really, really softly, but you still have to try and make sure that the melody is coming out and is ringing out over quite a long time while you're playing sort of little filigree stuff in the middle. But again, you know, her writing is so really incredibly refined and it's an absolute joy to get to study such mastery. When you look at the score, she actually does what Debussy does and what Ravel does a lot. She actually uses three staves because she's trying to separate these different colours on the keyboard. And that must be a challenge, surely. Yeah, I mean, for me, things like that can be more of a challenge. I'm the first person to say that my reading is not the most incredible thing in the universe. And that's something that I've really enjoyed working on through my time at Anne But... I think in this case, it kind of makes it, like you were saying, quite clear what she really wants to come out. It's not quite as crazy as some of the Rachmaninoff things that I've read with four staves. So three is slightly more manageable. But yeah, it definitely, I think, makes it quite clear actually what she's wanting to happen. And then the last piece is nothing to do with gardens at all. Well, as far as we know, it is a cortege. Yeah, which threw me quite a bit, actually, because when I looked up what a cortege is, it's a funeral procession. And I sort of played it and I went, this doesn't really sound like anything that I've ever associated with funerals before. Well, I think it can be just a procession. It's usually used 
in reference to a funeral, but it doesn't have to be because you're right, this is a very bright, jaunty piece, isn't it? Yeah, it's beautiful. Really interesting piece. I think she actually wrote it for violin and piano originally, and this is the piano transcription. It's quite tricky, actually, because it was written for the two instruments. When she's put it all together, it means that the hand is really stretched quite often. So the challenge for this one is, for me, was to not get too tight and stuck and, you know, because pain is the enemy when we're playing, obviously. So that was definitely very interesting. And I worked a lot with Timothy Young, my teacher, on trying to get that to, to sound the way it's supposed to without causing me too much trouble. Well, I enjoyed your performance very much. I've listened to it a few times. Do you have plans to play any more Lily Boulanger? I do. I have been working on a project with Eliza Shepherd, wonderful flautist. In March every year, she does a project called March of the Women, where she records a piece by a female composer for every day of March. So we actually looked at doing the cortege arranged for piano and flute. I have also been listening to some of her other works. I would absolutely love to perform the Pia Yesu at some point. Yes, this is a very interesting piece. Tell us why. Yeah, so Lily wrote this on her deathbed. So she was bedridden at the time. She was too weak to even pick up a pencil. So she dictated note by note to Nadia, who wrote it down. It's talking a lot about sort of her faith and obviously what she must have been feeling as she knew she was dying. It's hauntingly beautiful. It's such an incredible piece of music. I highly recommend it if you don't know it. Yes, I second that recommendation. Now, we should just mention that your recital last year picked up a gong from the Australian Decorative and Fine Arts Societies. Can you tell us what that was for, Hannah? Yeah, so every year Anam gives out various prizes to its musicians for all sorts of different things. And I had the incredible honour last year of winning the Best Recital Program, which was sponsored by Adfa Sierra. So that was a really incredible honour. A little bit of a shock, to be honest, but it was, yeah, really really special. Well, let's hope for more recitals, more awards and more Lily Boulanger. And Hannah Pike, thank you very much for speaking with us today. Thanks also to our coordinator, Sabrina Alde, our producer, Nathan Elul. I'm Phil Lambert, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Anam Radio. We look forward to bringing you another one soon. <laughs> <laughs>